This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Long established Native businesses have to make strategic moves to remain relevant as competition gets tougher and styles change. And organizations have to shift with evolving demands of their mission. They often have to assess whether it's time to rebrand. The Museum of the Cherokee People is among a handful of Native organizations that has recently gone through that process. We'll hear from branding experts about what goes into those decisions right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Grand Gateway Hotel in Rapid City, South Dakota, has settled one federal suit but still faces two more. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's C.J. Keene has more. The settlement agreement between the Department of Justice and the owning family of the Grand Gateway Hotel and Cheers Lounge in Rapid City comes over a year since the beginning of the saga. The suit stems from owner Connie Urey's 2022 efforts to ban Native peoples from the business after an act of violence. This particular federal discrimination suit was brought by the DOJ after the incident, and the settlement terms must be approved by the federal court for the District of South Dakota. Under the agreement, Urey will be removed from any role from the business for the next four years. Additionally, the company will hire a compliance officer, train employees, and implement anti-discrimination policies while reaching out to South Dakota-based Native organizations. Those trainings are required for all owners, directors, partners, and employees of Retzel Corporation, the hotel's parent company, and will center around Title II protections which prohibit race-based discrimination in the hospitality industry. Further, an apology letter was published by the company's board, largely made up of Yuri family members, acknowledging all Native peoples are welcome in their business. The letter will be sent to the presidents or chairpersons of each of South Dakota's tribal nations and to 19 news publications across the country. The company has 60 days to comply with the terms of the settlement. The two other ongoing lawsuits come from Indigenous Advocacy Network Indian Collective and a Wisconsin family who both allege the hotel denied Native people service illegally. Both of those suits are pending. Representatives from the Retzel Corporation did not return request for comment. For National Native News, I'm CJ Keene in Rapid City. Tribal leaders from across the country are gathered in New Orleans for the National Congress of American Indians Annual Convention, where they're addressing top concerns. This week, they're hearing directly from government officials, including from the Interior Department, as Rhonda Lavaldo reports. Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs Brian Newland was at the convention in person to address attendees Monday and held a press conference in the morning. He was asked by reporters about the conclusion of the Interior Department's Indian Boarding School Road to Healing Tour. Newland and Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland hosted the year-long healing tour, traveling across the country gathering testimony from survivors of Indian boarding schools and helping connect communities with trauma-informed support. The 12th and final stop was held recently in Montana. Newland was asked if the Interior Department would assist states in forming curriculum with accurate information and history of federal Indian boarding schools. The President and, and uh, Secretary Cardona at, at the Department of Education have been clear about you know, curriculum standards and, and things like that. For us, what we want to make sure is just that we're, we're doing an accurate truth-telling about, um, you know, about what happened and being accountable for it and planning to move beyond that. And uh, you know, once that information is out there, 
and once we, the federal government, are accountable for it, um, it's, it's not going anywhere. Uh, and so that will be accessible to everybody. The Road to Healing is part of Secretary Holland's investigation into the troubled history of federal Indian boarding school policies and impacts on Native people. This week, NCAI's agenda includes a tribal consultation by the National Endowment for the Humanities on Boarding Schools and a National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition update. Other issues Newland was questioned about by reporters included cannabis, tribal colleges and universities, landed a trust, and the process for federal recognition status. I'm Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Native Forward Scholars Fund scholarships are open now. Native Forward supports Native students' higher education journeys, offering over 40 scholarship opportunities, programs, and resources designed for Native students. Info and applications at nativeforward.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. After reaching out to tribal leaders and citizens, the Museum on the Homelands of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians in North Carolina relaunched with a new name and purpose. It's a major makeover that officials with the Museum of the Cherokee People say now pulls together aspects of all three federally recognized Cherokee tribes. Along with a new name and concept is a fresh logo, Museum officials hope adds new meaning to their mission. It's one of several Native organizations and businesses that decided it's time to update how they're viewed by the public. Today we'll talk with branding experts about what goes into that decision. You can join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Tell us what you know about brands and why they're important. From Cherokee, North Carolina, we're joined now by Alex Lane. She's the manager of visitor services at the Museum of the Cherokee People and a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Hello, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. From Saskatchewan, Canada, we have Tim Neal. He's the owner of the EngagementParty.ca. He is Cree. Hi, Tim. Great to have you on the show as well. Hi there. Thanks for having me. And from Phoenix, Arizona, we have Amanda June on the line. She's the founder and CEO of Smoke Fire Media. She is Dene, Hopi, and Latina. Hello, Amanda. Welcome to Native America Calling. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Let's go ahead and begin with Alex. And Alex, tell us more about some changes there at the Museum of the Cherokee People. You folks recently changed the name of the museum. It's subtle, but can you tell us what motivated that change? Yeah, absolutely. So we changed our name from the Museum of the Cherokee Indian 
um, to the Museum of the Cherokee People. And um, I, of course, you know, a little bit of backstory about the museum is that we have uh, been here for decades and we've been the Museum of the Cherokee Indian for decades. And um, we are the official uh, repository for the EBCI and for um, we hold their collections. But of course, you know, as we've we've grown and we've gotten bigger and we've evolved, um, we've kind of wanted to, um, you know, make sure that we are always portraying the most accurate uh, story of the Cherokee people and representing all different, all, all three tribes. And we want to make sure that we, we, because we have the, um, the absolute pleasure and uh, of being able to serve almost, like over 80,000 people a year, um, that we are giving them the most accurate, accurate representation. And so changing from Indian to people just kind of brought us more into the present day um, because Indian is such a, it's a very complex term and it is somewhat dated. Um, but it, it, because, you know, we have three tribes, we have the Cherokee Nation, we have the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, and we have the United Kadua Band, we're, we're including all of those people um, in this museum. And so that was really important to us. And that's why we, we kind of decided to make that change. We wanted to make sure that uh, our visitors knew that we still have sister tribes out in Oklahoma that are still Cherokee people and that we are all still one people. And Alex, in addition to the name change, uh, what other types of, of rebranding efforts are going on there at the museum? We are, we have a lot of balls up in the air at the moment. Um, so we did change the logo um, and all of that full branding kit was done completely by Tyra Maney, who is our in-house designer. And so right now we are working on, um, of course, you know, trademarking and um, changing all of our signs and, um, and also making sure that every program, every product, every message that comes out of our museum fits our, our new branding and, and our new message and, and our old message, of course, which is to preserve and perpetuate the history story and, and um, stories of the Cherokee people. So we want to make sure that we are continuing to push on with that mission. Um, but we are also working on an off-site collections facility, which just so happened to kind of line up exactly with the rebrand. And what's great about that is that we are making sure that not only do our uh, locals here in our community of the Eastern Band feel comfortable um, when they donate to that new collections facility, but that any Cherokee person um, who donates to that collections facility feels comfortable because they feel included by the new name. Well, Alex, tell us more about the new logo that Tyra designed. How is it different from the previous one? And how does it represent this whole new brand that you folks have engaged with? Absolutely. So she, I, I'm sure she can speak to it much better than I can, but I will do my absolute best. Um, so she actually used the water spider, which is the exact same um, kind of iconography that we had used before. This, it really took inspiration from that previous logo because that previous logo was, was quite um, memorable and iconic and uh, very recognizable from all over the country. People knew that logo. And it's an a icon that has been used a lot in, um, in Southeastern design and Mississippian design. Um, but what she did was she uh, kind of did a, a little bit of a spin on it and did a different version of it. So you'll kind of notice that 
Our old logo had a little bit of a thicker water spider. This one's a little bit thinner, a little bit more geometric, which kind of goes with a little bit more of like the designs that you'll see when you, um, if you ever come to Cherokee, you'll see those kinds of designs. But it also has a lot of um, inspiration from pottery that she took. So you'll see um, there's a, like a chevron design on the lower body of the um, the water spider that's supposed to represent the three worlds, which if you, um, the three worlds, you know, um, represent balance and tohi. Um, and so you have like the upper world, you have the middle world, which is the world we live in, you have the un and then you have the underworld. Um, so that's represented in there. And then you also have a, on the back of the spider, there's always, in any, in any water spider you see, you're going to see almost like a cross symbol on the back. And in um, Mississippian designs, the cross typically represents fire. Um, and the water spider is the, is the, um, the animal that brought us fire, um, fire to our people and also to the animals that were here before us. So um, what she did was she created um, from an, another pottery design was she created uh, like a, um, a spiraled cross design that shows the water spider in motion, which shows how our culture continues to evolve and how our museum is continuing to evolve because that water spider is moving, is always carrying that. And then... Right. Um, That's yeah. a lot of detail, a lot of, a lot yeah. of meaning there. I, I noticed some syllabary. Yeah. I'm looking at, at the logo now. I see some syllabary as well. Tell us about that. Well, the syllabary wasn't actually included in our old logo, um, but it was important to bring it into the new logo. And the first thing that, of course, we did was we consulted with our speaker, our speakers council, which consists of first language speakers and respected elders in our community, to um, get the correct translation for what we wanted to say, which was that we wanted to say that we are not only a museum, but we are a museum that is continuing to evolve. Um, and so, what we did was we added that. Um, into our logo so that that syllabary is first because we want to make sure that our speakers are included when you see our logo they can read it and then of course our visitors can read it in English as well and and we did reach out to Tyra she couldn't be on the show but but Alex I think you're doing a fantastic job of explaining uh, the logo and these other rebranding efforts there and I'm also curious to know the water spider what's the story there and how why is it that the water spider is such a good emblem to represent this entire rebrand there with the museum uh, well uh, there's a couple of different stories about the water spider but the the general message, and, and this, of course this is coming from my point of view, but is that the water spider was, uh, she was small, but she was mighty. And um, Kadaneshki came, uh, went through, um, was able to go and, and get the fire and carry it on her back. She took um, mud and clay and made clay and made a, a, a clay bowl that she carried on her back and was able to bring back over the element to our people. Um, and so she is not only, uh, you know, small but mighty, but she's heroic and um, also just a, a very strong figure um, in our creation story. And so, again, it's like one of those things where she, it, it's like somebody who's willing to go out and continue to carry on um, all these things on their back. So mm -hmm. to me, I thought that that always been the symbol of the museum because um, we are carrying 
uh, all these important items close and on our back, and we're making sure to protect them, and that's uh, kind of what we're going uh, with the, with our messaging, and then our of course our our collection facility that's coming. It's- it's wonderful. It, uh, it all makes perfect sense, Alex. And uh, we're going to take a break here in about another minute and a half. But but tell us, how is the, the community? You get 80,000 visitors a year. What's the feedback so far with regard to this new rebrand? The feedback, I, I have had the pleasure of um, working with the frontline staff. And we have gotten great feedback, especially because we are putting those, those new branded items out in the store and making sure that our frontline associates are are well-versed in what our new logo means. And so they've been able to speak to visitors on it. And we have gotten great feedback from both locals and visitors who have come here for years. They love the new fresh take, you know, it's very vivid, um, but they love the messaging behind it is what we are finding the most. Um, they, they don't connect with it at, until they really hear about it. And then they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool to see that they're, you're continuing to evolve. There's so much intentionality behind it. It's very sincere. Tyra took, you know, her time and researching and making sure that every part of the new logo meant something. And so uh, people are really connecting with it, both in the community and outside of the community. The Museum of the Cherokee People. We're talking now with Alex Lane, who is the manager of visitor services, and she's explaining this rebrand of the museum. They've changed the name, logo, other aspects. It's located on the Kuala Boundary, the eastern band of Cherokee Indians' tribal homelands in western North Carolina. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is Sean Spruce, host of Native America Calling. You can listen in every weekday to hear the only national call-in show from a Native American perspective. We explore topics that range from traditional cultural practices to -to up-to-the-minute news that affects every American. We hope you can join us for the next Native America Calling. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no-cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. We're focusing on rebranding today. That's the process companies and organizations undergo to bring in a fresh look, a new logo, and maybe a new direction or a more focused mission. How do you connect with a company or organization's brand? Do you immediately notice when it changes? Give us a call. Join this conversation. We'd like your input. The number is 1-800-996-2848 or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. Tim Neal is our second guest on the show today. He is in Saskatchewan, Canada, and uh, he's a, a real expert on branding and rebranding. And Tim, what exactly does that term mean, branding? Because it's it's one that I don't really recall hearing much until, oh, I don't know, maybe like the last 10, 15 years or so. Yeah, so branding, you know, on the really big meta scale, uh, Simon Sinek has like, big thought, which is your brand is what other people think it is. So it ultimately comes down to 
you know, a person's last interaction with your brand is how they will view it. But brand itself is, you know, basically two parts. One is a marketing side and one is a design side. Um, my company, we focus on both sides, but as a designer by trade, I usually, you know, end up focusing more on the visual side. So what you see is how we connect. And that includes like name, slogan, visual identity. And then that visual identity is, you know, logo, colors, typography, and then the visual style of all your graphic elements. And then there's copy style and tone. Um, and then that's usually put together into a brand style guide. And the whole point is consistency of communication. Consistency of communication. So how important is it for an organization to have a brand uh, that's up to date, that, that represents their mission and other aspects of what they do? I mean, uh, it sounds like there's a little bit of science behind this. Yeah, that science is probably more from the brand strategy, the marketing side. Um, so they have like the theory of value proposition, um, and that's just the why, how, and what. Um, but uh, you always want to, you know, rebrand when you are understanding that there's some type of failure to communicate. So whether that you have a different, you know, style for your organization, um, different leadership different uh, products, if that's what you make. Um, so there's a lot of the methodology involved in figuring out how to achieve a good rebrand. Tim, I'm thinking of some of these really iconic brands that, that everybody's familiar with, some of these large corporations, and we see these images everywhere. And the work you do, working with tribal organizations, tribal programs, do you approach branding the same way as like, a company like Apple or Coca-Cola or Microsoft, something like that, would, would approach their brands? Uh, there's kind of a big difference. <laughs> okay. It sometimes feels like I'm splitting hairs, but uh, like one of the things that we do is uh, names um, for a lot of our uh, from-the-ground-up sort of branding projects. And so for non-Indigenous, a good example is we had a, the Children's Museum on the Saskatchewan, and they wanted to rebrand because they were moving into a all-new space. And we ended up calling it Wonder Hub just because of that, you know, it's good for differentiation, good for copyright, and good for recall. It's just short and simple. But with First Nations, um, that, that, that's a term we use here in Canada. Sorry. <laughs> that's yeah, no worries. One. No worries. Yeah. Um, what we would end up doing is trying to figure out, um, you know, much like what the Cherokee uh, Museum did, which is find that sort of the sovereignty, um, whether it's language sovereignty or visual sovereignty, and figure out how we can uh, approach naming convention using those sort of historical and cultural elements. And that's a... Uh, that requires a lot of um, research and a lot of talking to um, people within the communities. So it's it's a bit more um, I don't know what you'd call that scientific in terms of like we have to do a lot of study and research for sure. Uh huh. And Tim, let's say uh, a First Nations organization comes to you and says, Tim, we want to hire you. 
we either need you to create a brand or we need you to rebrand our, our existing organization. What's the first question you ask them? Uh, first question is, who are you? <laughs> um, that would be my, my big thing. Um, and that would be kind of on the larger scale. What are you representing? Are you representing your nation, um, like your culture? Are you just trying to promote, um, you know, a product or service within uh, an indigenous community? Um, all of these things kind of take precedence when you're communicating. And, and when you sit down with organizations and, and you begin these discussions about creating this brand and um, how involved, I mean, do you do like focus groups and things like that with, with people just to kind of get their feedback or do you just kind of come up with some ideas on your own and just kind of show them and say, hey, look, these are some ways we can go. I'm just curious how, because it seems like a process that's, that's pretty involved and uh, has a lot of steps to it. Yeah, definitely time-consuming. Um, it's all about how much budget the client has. Um, if budget's unlimited, we go into a deep dive and we definitely do uh, public consultations, um, bring in um, local sort of elders, um, people involved in the community, leaders, and uh, we talk to them. We create a essentially a map um, that describes what we're seeing and hearing um, and what the availability of uh, what directions we can go and we clear that with the community um, get their sort of approval and uh, we go from there and tim earlier we heard alex mention how you know they, they used to have the name Indian in their in their museum name and they, they changed that it just didn't really quite fit the times and are you seeing a lot of similar changes to that since you've been doing this kind of work, just the evolution of native branding? Oh, guaranteed. Um, when I first started in the career, um, there wasn't much happening. Um, it was kind of bogged down into these old style ways of uh, visual communications. Now it's uh, gone yeah, through the roof. Everybody's doing it. It's great to see um, what... Uh, that whole sort of name change, that's definitely one. Um, for us, uh, First Nations is kind of the big one. We went from uh, Canadian Indian to Native Canadian to Canadian Aboriginal, and now we're Canadian First Nations. And so there's uh, there's companies that come to me, and you know I can tell how old they are based on their naming convention. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we end up, you know, Going into that, a really good client of ours is a Whitecap Dakota Nation. Um, and so, like three years ago, we did a rebrand for them, and uh, it was Whitecap Dakota First Nation, but they just uh, filed for their sovereignty. Their, uh, I forget exactly the name of it, but now they're their own sort of group, which is amazing. It's the first in Saskatchewan, I believe. Um, and so they want they changed their name to the White Cap Dakota Nation. So they got rid of the First Nation, just for sovereignty. So things like that is like a really you know nice sort of uh, progression. 
Tim, this all sounds really cool. It's exciting. It's innovative, but it also seems like it'd be kind of hard to measure the impact. And, and how do you know when you've got the right brand for an organization? What are you looking for in terms of results? <laughs> well, general um, approval is great. Um, the comedy with <laughs> you know branding is that if you're, it's kind of like I guess. Uh, politics if you know more than 50 percent like it that's great but you know 60 percent is insane like that's really good because <laughs> uh -huh. everybody has their different opinion um they like the old logo they didn't see what's wrong with the last brand you know this isn't speaking to what i like etc cetera, etc cetera. um so there's always that sort of malcontent sort of viewpoint but after a year or two if everyone is just you know calm and collected and just doing their stuff that's a great example of you know okay that actually was successful <laughs> <laughs> well i noticed sometimes like like with we talked earlier with alex about just the, the little tweak of the name right let's just change the, the change a little bit of wording and i see that a lot with brands like just a little bit different color schemes and be a different shade or or maybe just yeah. you know like a different profile things like that and alex i want to go back to you because um you know, using the syllabary in the Cherokee language as as part of this new name and the logo is just really exciting. Did you folks work with with elders or or speakers there to get that part right to make sure you're presenting the language and the syllabary in the right format? We did. We actually um, reached out to um, our speakers council, which is um, first language speakers, respected elders of our community. Um, to get that name correct and they worked on it for weeks there was um, multiple meetings about it and they had actually done our previous translation and so it was kind of a little bit of a tweak of that translation just to kind of bring it up to date and make it um, very harmonious with our new name and new branding got it thank you tim is this an expensive i mean it sounds like the sky's kind of the limit they can organizations can spend a lot of money on this if they've got a big big budget uh but what about for organizations that don't have a big budget and maybe they've just got a few thousand dollars and they want to make some changes is that enough money to work with to, to get a rebrand going uh it depends on their uh, application so if they have very little um previous application of that logo and brand um it's really easy to do um, within a small budget, it's when you have like a lot of storefronts or a lot of uh, print ephemera that has, you know, your old logo, your old brand, your old name, whatever it is, plastered all over it. That's the, that's the issue where it gets really expensive for the client. It's not even what we do for the rebrand. It's the application of the rebrand that costs the most. Mm-hmm. What are some other examples of organizations you've worked with or you're just familiar with where they've done some rebranding and, and it's really good? You really like what they've done and you think they're just right on track? Oh, there's so many. The, the, the joke is, is like, <laughs> I can only remember the bad ones. <laughs> the good ones are just like, yeah, right on. Keep on doing what you're doing. But, you know, the bad ones just stick with you. Uh, maybe that's just and, a remark on myself. I don't know. <laughs> what is it about the bad ones that stick? When do you know, hey, this just isn't working? That's just not going to go. What is it? Is it like oh, an antiquated the big name? One for me, yeah, design-related. It's the ones you just know aren't going to work um, in the modern um, sort of 
the needs for visual communications. Um, so the old thing with logos is that, you know, back in the day is like, if your logo can't be seen on a pencil, it's not a good logo. Um, nowadays, it's if your logo can't be seen as like a small icon for, uh, you know, social media, then it's not working so well. Um, the issue is, is that Indigenous um, or First Nations um, projects, you know, they, they need this uh, storytelling involved within their iconography. Um, much like what we just heard from Alex, uh, it requires, you know, a lot of room. Um, so what we've developed um, at the engagement party is this uh, stylization where we can go to the from the crest, which is the, you know, the larger storytelling piece, down to a smaller corporate mark that can be used throughout, and you can still see the exact resemblance between the two. Okay. I know back in the day you would see some Native organizations, and they had beautiful logos. They were, like, really artistic, but they were also just very intricate. And, and like you said, they, they weren't things that you could spot easily on a pencil or something like that. And they were more artistic as opposed to, like, what you're describing as something that's, like, easily recognizable and something that just provides, like, an instant image or a response in the people that look at it. So this is all a really fascinating conversation. And I encourage anybody listening right now, if, if you have any thoughts on rebranding, if there's a specific brand that you've seen in a native community with a native organization or a tribal program that you just think really pops and just really, really stands out and does a really good job of representing or illustrating what it is that organization is doing, let us know. Give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got the phone lines open. We're waiting for your call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. And I want to bring Amanda June into the conversation now. She's the founder and CEO of Smokefire Media, and she's in Phoenix, Arizona. Amanda, thank you again for joining us. And you assisted the Indigenous Journalists Association on a recent rebrand. How did that come about? Hi there. Yeah, it was, um, that was such a fun project. It actually took quite a long time, over a year about, to get that all completed, simply because it was such a big step for the organization. And just like you've heard here, it takes a lot of community input when you're making that kind of a shift. So they um, needed to get approval from their members and their board as well, because they were also considering the name change, not just a not just a, a new brand for, for NAJA, as it was known before Native American Journalists Association. Um, so that was a really great in-depth project. They really invested the time, the energy, and, and their budget to, towards getting the result um, in their brand and wanting to have that be the most culturally relevant outcome for them as they were looking forward to the next four years of the organization. They went from the Native American Journalists Association to the Indigenous Journalists Association, changed the name. What about the logo? Did they make some big changes there, too? Oh, yeah, completely different. Um, if you go online, and I think they will still have, like, from their legacy um, programs and and things on their website, uh, the, the older logo and a lot of the members, um, longtime members still you know, recognize the older logo, but uh, it it completely changed. There's nothing about it at all that's similar from from the previous logo. All right, 
Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about these rebrands here with our three guests today, Amanda June, Tim Neal, and Alex Lane. And, and Amanda, when we come back from this next break, I want to ask you if there's any risk involved with doing a rebrand. Like, for example, Native American Journalists Association, it's a long-standing organization, been around a long time. I'm just wondering if when a rebrand comes around like this, if people are turned off by it, could it actually hurt an organization as opposed to helping it? So I'm going to ask you to comment on that when we come back from this short break. For all the listeners today, branding, rebranding, let us know what you thought, what you think about this. What's, what's your thought on this topic and uh, some of these questions we're asking today about branding and image and, and how do we present a mission to the public in a way that's respectful and does a good job of representing who we are and what our organizations represent. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Frybread, that's the message. Support by Val's Frybread, providing her famous frybread mixes and other products in wholesale and retail quantities at valsfrybread.com. Frybread that will take you home, available wherever you live. You're tuned to Native America Calling. Still time to join this conversation about the importance of company branding and rebranding. It's important when an organization chooses a new mission or reaffirms an existing one. Aesthetics, including logo design, play a big role in that process. Call us at 1-800-996-2848 to share your thoughts on what it means to rebrand. And here's another question I'd like to ask. What do you folks think of our brand here at Native America Calling? Listeners, give us a call. Tell us what you think. You won't hurt our feelings. 1-800-99-NATIVE if you love it or you don't like it. Let us know. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Amanda June is on the line right now, and she recently worked with the Indigenous Journalists Association on a rebrand. And Amanda, I asked before the break, uh, can it be a risky proposition in some cases? I mean, Naja had been around for a long time. Uh, what if the rebrand like this doesn't work? Could it actually hurt a business more than help it? Um, yes, it absolutely can. Um, I'm sure that there are plenty of organizations that have seen that happen in the past, unfortunately, um, because there's so much, um, as Neil was kind of pointing to before about that goes into the story of, of telling uh, the, the, the perspective of our communities. And oftentimes I find um, with clients, we've either maybe worked with um, non-Native agencies in the past, uh, creative agencies that just didn't understand what story meant to their communities, and they didn't understand the culture. And so that was um, something that they had struggled with, and I've heard from past clients many times they might have hired and hired and, and terminated relationships with creative agencies just because they didn't understand what their communities needed. And you can tell right away from a lot of the community's reaction when they see a new brand come from an organization, especially a longstanding uh, native organization that they instantly are are drawn to, okay, what is going on here and the visual elements? Did they hire a native designer? They have all those questions that come immediately mm -hmm. to mind. So if people definitely are paying attention. I'm glad you mentioned native designer versus non-native designer, because I know from experience, there are a lot of non-native 
companies out there and consultants that are doing native branding projects. What's your thought on that? Do you think uh, do you think native organizations should really first and foremost always work with native branding specialists when possible? Um, I do believe if that is if it's important for them to tell their story from their cultural perspective, then absolutely one hundred percent. And most of them, it's not the um, it's not an issue of them wanting to work with native designers. It's simply that the marketplace is scattered and they're not sure where to find them. They're not sure um, where to go to look and and make sure that they're they're really able to reach out to the native designers that they want to. And, um, you know, there's a dime a dozen of, of non-native uh, creative agencies out there and always trying to, to look to get um, our community's business, of course. But, yeah, as uh, an agency owner that we, we only specialize in cultural creative design uh, work with our communities. So that's something that is becoming so much more of a... It's always been a need, but it's becoming much more aware to the community that, hey, there's um, real power in our stories, and we want to take care how we do that through our visual storytelling. And so it's it's a whole um, education, educational process as well because community members are learning how design works now, like we're talking about through things like branding, and then they're trying to find the people that can do it best and and just learning along the way like everybody else. And Amanda, how do organizations, native organizations, go about finding the right native branding companies? Is there like a database or is it mostly referral? How do people get there good branding companies? always been... Yeah, up to this point, it's largely been just word of mouth, right, down the down the grapevine. If you know someone who knows someone, and usually people will ask as soon as they see something that they like on a business card or, you know, at a conference, things like that, they're going to ask, who did your logo? And um, so that's actually a big need that we sought to fill in the last two years um, through Smokefire Media because I've seen this need since since day one, trying to connect people in our communities around uh, digital media and not only the best practices, but uh, being able to connect with each other to collaborate and to help tell our stories in a better way. And so we launched our tech platform called Native Plus Marketplace, which was our solution to that in 2021, um, which was essentially like the digital version, uh, digital marketplace where you can find and hire um indigenous designers from your communities to help with your projects, not only on branding, but marketing and communications in general. Um, so there are, and there are other uh, organizations trying to put together, I've seen even other designers just reaching out to other, other native designers across the country and saying, hey, give me your contact info, we'll put it on our website list, things like that to support um, and help people find them. All right. And Tim, you know something about native design databases because that's how our producers located you. Yeah, that's really funny. That's uh, Neben Southall for sure. Um, that's one of the first, you know, when I was looking, you know, who are my competitors and, you know, who can I talk to about all this? Uh, that was one of the first set of resources I found was Neben's List. And it just, you know, it doesn't get the credit it deserves sometimes. It's uh, probably one of the first touch points 
most people encounter when they, you know, enter in some type of search engine, you know, indigenous logo design or, you know, something, you know, fairly straightforward, um, whether, you know, the language is right or not, they, uh, they get to that list and then they go through them. So I don't know if I've ever gotten work from that list, but yeah, I've definitely had people inquire from that list. All right. Sounds like it's all in the keywords. Let's take a caller, Mike, who is listening to KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Mike. What are your thoughts on branding? Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I, I just had a question, not 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 a comment, but I'm I'm from New Mexico, and I remember uh, there was a time when uh, there was a Navajo trucking company that used to run around uh, this part of the world, and they had an image of a male. Uh, Native American on their door, and uh, they called themselves Navajo. And I don't know if they uh, used uh, the Diné the, the people contributed to any of that imaging or trademarking or whatever that was. But at some point, they changed the image from a male to a female. And uh, I was just wanted to know what your audience or what your guests think about uh, non-natives using native imaging in advertising. All right, Mike, that is a great question. And I remember, I, I know this brand you're talking about. I remember these trucks that you're describing here. Uh, let's ask uh, Amanda, Amanda Navajo Trucking Company. It, what it sounds like to me here is, you know, we have shows sometimes we talk about uh, native mascots and team names with professional sports, with college sports. And it, it sounds like some of these issues with regard to the use of native imagery with branding, it sounds like there's some parallels here between what we're talking about with team mascots and, uh, and organizational brands. Amanda? Yeah, definitely. And um, I actually did some research into that trucking company before because of that, wanting to know, like, hey, where, where did that even come from? How was that even um, allowed, you know, using a tribal, uh, like an entire tribe's name to on your, on your company logo? I thought, shouldn't that be, like, illegal or something <laughs> so well I you know the, the car the that. car makers are like the biggest offenders because look think of how many vehicles are named after a tribe in some way right, shape exactly. or form right Right. Yeah. and so it gets back to this larger issue which um i've thought over the last nine years now with smoke fire media to to kind of address but it's such a huge issue right this idea of our our culture being exploited um by multi-billion-dollar industries worldwide, and not giving um, not giving any credit or attention or respect, on, in many cases, to the cultures that they came from or the meanings behind uh, imagery, behind uh, words and phrases, things like that, to the cultures that they affect. And those are harmful stereotypes that they perpetuate through those kinds of imagery and language usage. And so um, we created a process called the Cultural Manifesto, which still draws on the main design process if we're talking about straight branding and design. It draws on that process, but it applies these extra layers that we've all been talking about here today, which help ensure that um, cultural relevancy uh, to the highest degree will be the outcome in a project, in a creative project when we're done with it. And it's my personal belief because I've, you know, as we've been doing this for a while, it's my personal belief that you can do that across the board and no matter what kind of um, 
cultural ethnic background that you work with as a designer or as a creative agency, you can't uphold a certain standard. You can't uphold a cultural marketing um, competency in your work, no matter where you're working, if you follow these certain steps. And a lot of it involves the community like we're talking about. It involves doing the, the deep dive research, and then it involves um, kind of marrying that the history with the modern um, design aspects, and that's really what makes makes the beautiful outcome possible. Mm-hmm. Amanda, another challenge I see is, in some cases, it could just be a small native organization, maybe you know a few employees and a board, and they're trying to decide how to rebrand. And then, listening to Alex, I mean, she's talking about representing an entire community, and you've got a, a lot more stakeholders and a lot more opinions in terms of how this rebranding process needs to unfold. So what's the first step if, if you're working, like, for example, working with the Indigenous Journalists Association or any other organization, what, what are some of these opening questions and conversations that you think really need to occur uh, to begin the rebranding process? Yeah, I think absolutely the first step is awareness <laughs> and investment. So the organization really needs to be invested in the process because, um, like I said, a whole rebrand process could take an entire year like this one did. That's not usually the norm, but and definitely not the designer's preferences, right? But it can happen, and so we all have to be committed to that process and just allow it to be uh, allowed to unfold the way that it's meant to and have everyone's buy-in from the very beginning. And um, if that's there and they, they know that they're really wanting to um, go the rebrand route and that's right for them, then we dive deep into the, into the actual um, what their needs are and what they've done in the past. So with, with our organization, with Smokefire Media, it always starts with a consultation and a discovery call. So we just dive deep into those main questions about what their goals are with the new brand and what they're experiencing um, now versus the past. Say maybe they've had those growing pains from going to, uh, you know, from having that older branding and how it's affecting their their growth now. Um, And so we can pinpoint then the areas of their brand that we can really help shine through through the rebrand process. And Amanda, if an organization is looking at creating a, a new brand, let's say a new organization, everything's starting from scratch, as opposed to an existing organization that just wants to take a, a rebrand approach, do you approach that differently with your work, rebranding versus branding? Yes, definitely. Um, and our our organization, my company, is, is a little bit different because I'm – um, not only the you know the agency director and, and owner and things, but I am uh, a designer and a media professional and a business owner, and so I have this uh, big place in my heart for other startup uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to figure it out and make it all work. And usually they're coming with a shoestring budget, if any, and they need to know what can we what can be done. And so all of our work is typically done in packages versus things like hourly rate, which is another thing that um, organizations struggle to uh, to figure out a lot of times is pricing, like what is a good budget, what do we need for all of that. And so the consults, I really help them understand what goes into the process, 
but I usually meet my clients at their stage of business growth rather than an overall budget um, because then I can allow them to know here's what's possible with what you do have. Um, and that's also why uh, Native Plus um, Marketplace was such a huge need for us as well because I know so many startup businesses have have those needs and we want to support their growth, but they may not have that budget yet to hire our team, right? So they can go on to the marketplace and find a freelancer that may be able to fit better in their budget. So that's really how we begin to work with clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really fascinating conversation here on Native America Calling, learning all about brands and rebrands. And Amanda, one more quick question before we wrap up. Uh, how did you get into this line of work? Did you go to school and get a marketing degree or, or can you learn this on your own doing design work and branding? <laughs> it's amazing the things you can learn in this new digital world, right? You can uh, almost learn to do to do just about anything, even programming. You can learn how to how to coach, how to teach all kinds of things. And most definitely, actually, I'm a self-taught marketer, designer, um, all those things. Because I didn't go to school for marketing per se. I went to school for nonprofit management and worked with community for many years. And then my journey in that field led me to marketing and PR for nonprofits. And that's really where I found my passion for it. Um, but I'm finding this newer generation, you know, the, the youth, um, especially indigenous youth, they are multimedia creators to the best degree. And they can teach themselves anything online. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Folks, we are now out of time. We're going to have to wrap this discussion up. But a uh, big thank you to our guests today, Amanda June, Tim Neal, and Alex Lane, talking with us about branding with regard to Native organizations and programs. Join us on NAC again tomorrow for another informative discussion about Native issues and topics. Until then, thanks again for listening, and have a great rest of your day. More tribes are using drones from Cayuse Native Solutions to economically collect data for disaster response, aerial inspections, and more. More about drone services available at CayuseNativeSolutions.com who support this show. Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients and all can be found at lakotamade.com who support this show. Buju. Keep your family healthy and strong. Open enrollment for Medicare in the marketplace is here. Make sure you and your loved ones are covered. For more information, contact your Indian healthcare provider, visit healthcare.gov, or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Quantic Broadcast Corporation a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.